What's up and welcome to another episode of Black and the Maritimes. I'm Fidel. I'm Hillary. Wagwan, I'm Clinton. And I'm along. <laughs> wow. Okay. I didn't let him finish that. I was expecting that, so I jumped right in. That's my bet. Oh my God. I wasn't expecting that I'm just having fun. I'm exhausted, guys. I hear you. Yeah. I feel you on that. Yeah. I introduced my two-year-old to reggae today, actually, very late. So we've been listening to reggae for the past two days. That's right. Oh, that's amazing. That yeah, he loves that. it. He loves it. I don't know what I was waiting for. Okay, that's amazing. Oh, reggae is amazing. So, yeah, do that. Wagwan is like high, right? That's what it is. What's going on? Yeah. What's going on? Wow. Wagwan, yeah. what's going on? Yep. Wow, Can I impart some knowledge while we're just doing language lessons? Ninga Def is how are you in Wolof? And now we know two. What the fuck is Wolof? The language of the Senegalese people. Senegalese, what the, I'm don't guessing. what the fuck me. <laughs> I don't even know what Wolof is. I thought it's, it was like Klingon something, Star Trek thing. Klingon? Like. Whoa, whoa, wow. whoa. Okay, okay, okay. Wow. This is as bad as the kung, this is as bad as the kung fu comment. No, <laughs> on, at least in retrospect, wasn't it, it wasn't that bad. Mine had context, bad. thank you very much. I didn't pick on the black race of the Star Trek universe. That's a whole different fucking ball of ball of wax here first of all i didn't know what wolof was and second of all i didn't know that klingon was a black race in star trek so really because every klingon is brown how did you not think that that was a black race of the universe i I understand that i never watched star trek so but africa's complex (laughs) i like when we found out that my dad's heritage through the dna test was probably um from nigeria i was like oh great i feel closer to knowing something i started to research nigeria to learn that they had like over 200 different cultures in that country and languages and stuff. So, yeah, what's what is it again, Hillary? Ninga Def, and it means how are you in Wolof, which is the Senegalese language Wolof. that they speak nationally other than French. Wolof, wow, that's right. I didn't W-O-L-O-F. I would have Wolof. assumed they spoke like English or French or Spanish or Senegalese. <laughs> it's Well, it's French and Wolof, and Wolof is the Senegalese language. There's no language named after like the country. Like how right, so Mandarin is, chi- is Chinese, not Chinese. So we learned two things. Okay. Yeah. Wagwan. Wagwan and Wolof. So we're going to keep the topic with black people, but black people in Canada, actually. Uh, a report said that black Canadians are more hesitant to get the COVID 19 uh, vaccine. This was done by the Canadian press. Uh, the leaders and of all governments are calling on everybody to get the vaccine. Uh, Canada has been doing very, very well. 90% of the cases have been dropped. So we have dropped 90% of active cases, which is amazing. Uh, New Brunswick has been doing really, really well. We're at 80% of people with the first vaccine. I think we're at 52% uh, with both doses. So definitely we're doing uh, this very, very well. This is mainly in a lot of black communities where it's uh, African-centric, uh, which, again, we're going with the wall of, uh, but in communities in Montreal, Ontario, and places in the prairies, a lot of black people are don't have confidence in the vaccine. Now, we're going to start with Clinton. What do you think about this? Um, black people compared to where? First of all, like compared to which other black people in every country in, in the world, in I North, feel like in North America, they are hesitant as well. In the United States, very they're one of the people, okay. black and Hispanics are very hesitant to take the vaccine in the United States. 
I feel like some of the reasons that are obvious to us probably, but maybe not other people, is that, you know, the history of Black people being used as experiments for medicine, as if they were animals. Um, I don't know all the details about it, but I know even in recent history and hundreds of years ago, probably a good amount of like things that we know about anatomy and science and medicine came from like brutal experiments on Black people, not treating them as humans. Um, and even in Africa. And I, I, so there's that. And just a general mistrust of the system. But also, I think in a lot of African countries, when they start talking about COVID, uh, a lot of presidents spoke out, some, some leaders spoke out saying that um, it was a hoax, they didn't believe in it, that the tests were, I heard the, all these stories about the tests being fake, or they were testing cats and testing like the random things and they would be come back coming back as positive and the same thing with the the covid vaccine that a lot of some of the leaders in african countries didn't trust it um i think even in the caribbean so if that's what's happening i think that might be some of the stem roots and causes of that alone what do you think about this i uh i agree with clinton um, I, I think that they're just I think it's it's a mix of just, you know, history with the black community and also a mix of, of you know, misinformation. Um, I, I don't know if whether I, I should side and say, yeah, I, I agree and stand by, you know, black people who are saying no. Or do I say, you know what, science is science, you know, get on board and and, and do the thing. Um, so I'm kind of caught in the middle of that. Right. Because I, I can understand we're individuals who are saying, no, I want no part of this, where they're coming from. And yeah, the government has done a great job of just fucking over black people and, and losing, you know, confidence from the black community. There's no question about that. Um, so I'm kind of torn between the two, right? Like I, I respect the science, but then again, when science has been used against us, I can understand people saying no. Um, so, you know, and again, the misinformation that's out there, it doesn't help. Um, you know, so it's kind of like this perfect storm, right? So if you've got people who are saying no, then you have misinformation to, to, you know, feed into that. No, you know, it's, 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 it's a vicious cycle. Right. But then again, you got to look at, is that even part of a diabolical plan? Right. So we keep the black community misinformed and we keep them confused and they don't get vaccinated. And then, you know, I mean, so, I mean, you can go deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole, but um, I definitely just want to make it clear. I do respect people who, you know, have no trust in the government because the government hasn't earned our trust. So I, I totally agree with Clinton on that point. What about you, Hillary? Um, well, ironically enough, now I work for community health centers and I feel like I have a comp- not a different point of view. But I'm just wondering if these statistics include all of the black people who disproportionately cannot be reached through these vaccine clinics. So I'm currently in talks with a bunch of community health centers in Manitoba who their employers will not let these people leave work to get vaccinated during regular hours. And then these clinics close. So you've got mass populations of people who are overworked, underpaid, run by consumerist capitalist society and are not even being allowed to go get vaccinated because it's basically let the poor die and get sick first. And it's still that like very awful mentality. Same thing in, you know, here in Ontario, I'm working with like community health centers to try to broaden the knowledge of when these pop-up clinics are so that people can get vaccinated. So I just wonder if the word hesitancy is completely 
accurate. I, I do know of black people in the community that I live in who do have mixed feelings about what ingredients are actually in it, what, how it's going to affect them, what the side effects are. Some people have different feelings still about the different vaccines and what the reactions will be. But there is an also a very big population that the truth of the matter is you've got these black people working these essential worker jobs that are that are not allowing them the time off to simply get vaccinated. And I don't know if it's a real hesitancy in, oh, we don't know if we want to do it or the system we work in is simply not allowing black people, poor people, queer people, sex workers to go and safely get vaccinated during a reasonable time of day. That's why Scarborough has had some that run from two in the morning till seven in the morning to help these people. Fucking strip clubs are now having like pop-up vaccines so that these people can get vaccinated. I, I do, I see a big push in the community for these people to fairly get vaccinated. I wonder if those statistics are accurate. Well, vaccine access, it is a, it is a factor. Vaccine access has been a factor in many places, uh, especially poor places. For poor mm -hmm. people, uh, vaccine access is always a problem because again, if you're working and they don't let you go to get a vaccine, how are you going to do it? You're not going to do it. Uh, and that affects mostly poor and disenfranchised people. Now, the hesitancy, and this happens a lot in poor countries. There is, I think there is a combination of both. I think there's a combination of, uh, you know, in poor countries, people are untrustful of the government. That is, that is one thing. But not only that they're distrustful of the government, they're there's also a culture of the government doing things by force. So when you talk about black people, there is a culture of the government pulling things by force, whether it's taking you out of your home, whether it's killing you with the police, whether it's, you know, taking your rights away. There, and when, especially people of color, they feel that the government is forcing them to do something, they are hesitant. Uh, that is one part. The other part that I also feel is the education part. When you are in poor conditions, with poor schooling, with poor education, you are more hesitant to don't try things that you don't know. Because, I, I mean, there was one conversation that was really enlightened to me, and it wasn't from a Black person. Uh, there was a person that told me that they didn't want to get the vaccine. And because there was nothing in it, they had like, I'm sorry, that they didn't know what was in it. And I said to them, you do drugs. You don't know what's in drugs. Like, you don't know what's in fetamine. But I think one of the things is that they looked at it that way. They were like, oh, yeah, you're right. But but it's also the forcing and the education part. When you get forced to do something, you're more hesitant to do it. Right. But that system is set up. That's a systematically racist byproduct. So if you have poor communities with poor education systems and a lack of education access to information, that's that's a whole systemic system. Right. So, you know, you, again, you know, understand if black people are saying what they're saying, I, I, I agree with Hillary and, and Hillary actually just enlightened me to a lot of different things and facets that I wasn't aware of going on in the black. But, but that, again, is a systemic byproduct. Right. So when you have you know, minorities who are primarily, you know, on the frontline workers. So whether they work in nursing or retail or hospitality, whatever they're doing, and you have clinics that are open, that's not black people saying they don't want or they don't trust. That's them literally saying, I can't get to it because my fucking employer is telling me no. Right. So when you have these systemically racist barriers and borders set up, 
Is it really black people saying that they don't want the vaccine? Probably not. If there's a lack of education, is that black people really saying from a conscious, educated standpoint that they don't want the vaccine? No, they're doing that based on lack of education information that has been systemically denied them. So that's how I anyway. Well, one thing that we got to and I think that's what Hillary is going to go. I think one of the things that we got to make sure there's vaccine access, which I think one thing that she's saying that that is a thing that is very, very true that a lot of people don't have the access to the vaccine and they want to take it. But what we're talking about is that people are, are hesitant that they don't want to do it. Go ahead, Hillary. Well, what I was going to say is that like the point you brought up about the lack of education, it's not all, like I know that we're a race-based podcast and we're talking about black people being hesitant, but it is very much a class thing. There are a lot of white people that I know on my Facebook who are saying the same thing. And they are the type of people who maybe tout and speak of veganism, but I have seen do drugs alongside me. And there is this very conflating message of you're concerned about what you're putting in your body in certain aspects and not when it comes to maybe coping with your trauma through drug use. And then I would, I would say that it comes down to a classist thing because it is still the uneducated, harder working class that has that same mistrust in the government that leads to this hesitancy of getting vaccinated. I think that like there are certainly white people as well who do not trust the government. And especially recently with uh, the more that we go on, the more we see the transgressions that the government has done. If you like are aware that the government has been on the side of the uh, Catholic church and has been hiding mass graves or has unwillingly searched them. Would you necessarily trust that same government to say you, we want you to get vaccinated and then essentially say, we're going to create these passports where you have to, to travel or now apparently I think here in Ontario, you have to prove that you've been vaccinated to even go work out a good life. And now all of these people are canceling their good life memberships. It's not just a race issue it does become an education issue in terms of that my question was more so if the word hesitancy is accurate or are they just saying that like this group of people doesn't want to do it without knowing the full facts that they do want to but in places like manitoba they don't even know where the pop-up clinics are and my colleagues are trying to figure out like are we at a point where we need to drive a truck out to these agriculture fields so these people can get vaccinated do we need to go so old school that we need to have billboards so that people know when these vaccination clinics are because no one is turning up and we feel like there is a need to, but now there's this huge population that isn't doing it and these variants keep rising. So my concern is more so with the semantics. Is the word hesitancy even accurate? Well, from uh, give it a little bit more context before we wrap on this subject. It was a survey made by the Public Health Agency of Canada, and there was a survey of 2,830 people. Uh, so that is the survey and includes that more than 500 Black Canadians uh, survey organizers were the sample size. So that's uh, a very small population. Well, and that's the thing. <laughs> surveys, it, it, a lot of surveys are right. It surveys yeah. are exactly. That's what you got to think. Surveys are not uh, everybody. It, it's just a, a, a segment of the people mm-hmm. uh, that you get. And based on that, you, you get the demographic. Is it perfect? No, uh, that's definitely not the case, which it brings to the light that it may, there may be other factors. There's definitely more factors. Uh, mm-hmm. to why people don't write the vaccine. But again, it's a very complex thing. I Definitely, I feel I got vaccinated 
the Maritimes has been doing really, really well. Uh, if, if I think the, the Maritimes can be living proof of what happens if people get vaccinated and they follow the rules, because we've been doing way better than Ontario, Manitoba, British Columbia. I mean, definitely that, that is something that we, we have to show. And here people have been following the rules and people have been doing their part. So that, that has to do a lot of it. So we also don't have skyscrapers and office buildings. And exactly. stuff like that, or buses that close contact and subways. Out of contact, yeah. Yeah. To be fair, at least there's definitely, I would say, a mixed population. Like, there's such a bigger population in Ontario. A big part of the New Brunswick population is a bunch of boomers who would be more at risk if it went south. Like, uh, I like. I guess I just don't know if I 100% agree, but I do feel like Ontario, like we're getting there. Almost everyone I know is doubly vaxxed. I work where we do all of these vaccinations. So like there's definite progress, I would say, across the country. But I'm happy for New Brunswick. Well, okay. uh, that's the thing. One I case. That, I think we have one active case. No, we have, two. we have none, I think. I, think I haven't checked since yesterday. So maybe today we have none. But that's why I said like the Maritimes, because New Brunswick, I don't think New Brunswick would be just New Brunswick. I would say New Brunswick, PEI and Nova Scotia as a whole. I think that's the, the good example, because. If you put them all three as a whole, there's the size, they're like 4 million people, right? If you put New Brunswick just separate, then yeah, that wouldn't be a good example. What I think the Maritimes as a whole, they did a pretty good part, which if you look at places, this is one of the places that they go to. So again, get vaccinated, people. Let's get this over with. For the record, you guys have seven cases. For the record. Oh, really? Okay. Seven new active cases as of two hours ago. Really? Oh, wow. So, uh, so all them Ontario people. I'm just kidding. Yeah, people coming. <laughs> I can't wait for my daughter to come. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways, uh, going back, we're gonna go with some international news now. Again, if you don't see news, you probably won't heard of this. Uh, but it's been all over the place. Uh, Haiti's president last week got murdered. Uh, so let's just give a brief story because again, this, this, this is ongoing. This is unprecedented. Uh, and again, this hasn't been, uh, I mean, this is, hasn't been done in, I don't know, three decades. Uh, Jovenel Moise was the president of Haiti. He got elected in 2015, if I'm not recalling. Now his term was supposed to end in 2020. Uh, he said because of the pandemic, there wasn't an election, so he governed by decree, uh, which means that he dissolved parliament and he was just governing by similarly what we would call by force. So he inducted political systems to get that. Uh, the opposition was saying that he could not, he was unlawfully elected, uh, I'm sorry, unlawfully governing. So what happened was, is that he was going to change the constitution in order to do an election. A lot of people fear that he was going to change certain things like the prime ministry, because in Haiti, they don't have a vice president. They have a prime minister, which is the runs the country, and there's the president, which is the general manager of the country. Um, having that said, last week, a group of mercenaries went and went to his home, killed him, uh, injured his wife, which is now doing better. She's in Miami, uh, in Florida, getting treated, and their children managed to get safe. As we know now, uh, the mercenaries, a lot of them were apprehended, uh, two of them left, and four of them got killed. And as the investigation is ongoing, 
they are saying that the prime minister, along with a doctor and a senator, are the ones behind the plot of killing the president, uh, saying that the prime minister wanted to take government, which right now nobody knows who's governing Haiti, but it is supposed to be the prime minister. And just to add, the prime minister was ousted. So he was an interim prime minister. So because the president died, he cannot put the new one and the interim is the one ruling. So that's just a context of a very, very, very complex situation. Now, Hillary, you're the youngest one. Have you ever seen a president getting murdered? Like, was this something that was in your area? I'm trying to think. I don't think I've lived through any presidential assassination in the 27 years I've been alive. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners slash you three gentlemen, but I don't think there's been any. But what you described is just very extremely complex. And I like I'm, I would not say I'm 100 percent politically literate. Um, it sounds really like complex in terms of like who's now running the country. I definitely feel like I don't want anyone really to ever die at the hands of anyone. Like, I don't know that this was necessarily warranted. It sounds like a really sad situation. I would be concerned for the people who like live there and are living in poverty and now dealing with this violence and overturn of a government. Um, it's one of the f- one of the rare times this year I'll say the sentence, I'm happy to be Canadian, because that doesn't tend to happen here. Knock on wood. Ho- hopefully. Uh, Clinton, what's your thought on it? Well, I said I'm happy to be Canadian too earlier today when I was talking to uh, my interview uh, with Velma for our CBC show coming up. Um, and I am. I'm happy to live in a country where, uh, you know, if we finally acknowledge the wrong that was done, we have the opportunity to make it better. Yes. Um, as opposed to some countries, uh, like maybe like Haiti or <laughs> other countries where people with voices get silenced really quickly. Like they disappear fast. So at least we're a country where you can speak out and get angry about the wrongs of the past. Uh, regarding the Haiti situation, I don't know much about it for whatever reason. I haven't been following it. Alan, we were all talking about it earlier. I mean, Alan's going to frame it perfectly because what he's going to say is exactly what it is. Um, It sounds like, you know, humans doing what humans and animals do, like taking steps to seize power and like control things. Like that's this is a repeated thing that happens in history. I mean, presidents being assassinated. I think lots of dictators have been assassinated, taken out by the states themselves. Um, Wasn't Saddam Hussein? No, Saddam Saddam Hussein Hussein was people, wasn't he? I'm, I'm having a yeah. Saddam Hussein was actually uh, he was uh, caught and hanged by his own people, which they hated him. Uh, but Saddam was Osama was my lifetime, but that's still not really. A, but he wasn't a president. He wasn't a president. Yeah, exactly. He was a leader of a. He was a leader of a group that originally was funded by the CIA and trained. Yeah, Al Qaeda, uh, which is a terrorist. That's not conspiracy group. theory. Yeah. yeah. No, no, that is that is actually uh, that anyway, is a fact. I, I don't have a lot to say about the Haiti thing. That's why I was kind of <laughs> going off about some other things. Is it? Alon? It's complex. Oh, listen, this is Jason Bourne at work. Everyone just needs to calm down. That's what this is. This this was a strategic hit by a trained operative. Um, we all saw the movie. He was supposed to hit him on the yacht. He didn't get him on the yacht. Plans changed. This is what happens. Um, so this is this is what I've been saying all along. That this was this was an orchestrated, planned, professional job by 
an agent with a wiped memory who no longer has any sort of recollection of what happened. <laughs> and now we have this kid, but this, but you know what, as, 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 as fictional and, and, and funny, you know, as, as, as that may be, you know, and we talked about this before the podcast, you know, movies do use consultants and they use ex-military and ex-CIA and ex-FBI consultants when it comes to these spy movies and films. And, you know, so fiction, sometimes art does imitate life. And you know what? Um, when you have a leader taken out in this kind of fashion, I'm sorry, that's where my mind goes. That's that's me. I, I enjoy good espionage films. That's where that's the first thing I thought of. Um, but it definitely does not just sound like some random locals trying to make a point. Um, you know, this definitely was, you know, a, a, like Fidel says, a coup attempt. And this definitely was someone trying to grasp power in a very deliberate and, 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 and very efficient way. Um, and so, I mean, again, I don't know the details. I'm not in the country. I haven't been following the story, but the little bit that I've heard. It sounds like Jason Bourne. Well, I mean, I can, I can definitely say because I'm going to have a, a separate uh, a segment on this because uh, I'm going to bring some some people that are more that have more expertise on the country. Uh, I've been to Haiti and I can definitely tell you it is a, a wide a wide opening of eyes uh, when you go to that country. Uh, I went there to help within the earthquake when that happened. Uh, I only went for two days. And I've been one time prior to the earthquake. Uh, and I was there for like a day or two days as well. Uh, and even before and after, it's just devastated land. And it's kind of sad to say because Haiti was the first country to be liberated from slavery. They were the first Black people to get away and liberated themselves from colonizers. Uh, this is way before any country in Africa. This was way before any country in America. Uh, so they were the first black liberators, uh, if, for people that don't know. But because of that, because they were the first black people to get liberated from their colonizers, they've been suffering uh, for a long time. And it has become a country of chaos. It's kind of lawless land. And some of it is not their fault. Uh, some of them has to be people like the French, uh, the United States and other people. Uh, but definitely it is something that uh, it, it's kind of if you ever go to that place, you will see that it's eye opening and how a country is lawless and it is just ungovernable. So we'll definitely have more info about that. But, uh, you know, hopefully that shout out to the people that are in Haiti. Stay safe. Because it's never been safe there, but hopefully it's safer now. So now we're going to take it away to Hillary, which she has a new segment to present. So go ahead. Sure. Um, today I wrote a blog um, and it got like some laugh reacts because I realized that the uh, title sounds like it doesn't make sense because it's about unlearning racism against myself. And I feel like a lot of people, perhaps of the white variety may be asking how a person of color of any other ethnicity could be racist against themselves because it seems pretty weird to sort of hate yourself for that reason um as some people listening may know as you three definitely know i was raised by a single white mom so a lot of the verbiage and language around me was not necessarily nice about black people it wasn't mean my mom wanted me to always stand up for myself but um considering my mother was not a big fan of my father there wasn't a lot of positivity around my blackness and as we've discussed before because I was mixed I definitely felt very awkward and uncomfortable with my otherness I did not know how to get along with the other kids 
And what I wrote about in my blog was the idea that I continue to put myself down out loud and on Facebook posts on purpose to make people like me because it's easier to poke fun at yourself and put yourself down as a black person than to try to stand up for yourself against all of your white peers if you're the only black person. And I wanted to sort of have a roundtable discussion because I know that we all come from very different upbringings, different locations, different family entities. And I am curious to know if you're, you know, having more black parents made that easier for you if you often found yourself also thinking in the same way where you made fun of your own blackness or were the first ones to say the black joke in a room or if this is something that you're like I don't understand Hillary how you ever talked about yourself in that way I think being black is the coolest thing um Clinton do you want to go first I zoned out for a minute um (laughs) I thought this was your segment where you were talking about yourself. What What are my thoughts on? Like, I'm curious, I'm curious to know if you ever yourself were put in a position where you put yourself down for being black because you thought that that would make yourself more likable. If you ever tried to really like assimilate with a white group of people to be more likable in that way, or if you've, because you were raised with other black siblings and by black parents, if that made you appreciate yourself in a way that, I wrote in my blog that I just did not have. Um, I mean, I I would feel any black person growing up in North America wasn't being completely honest with themselves if they tried to say that they were never a victim of that in any shape, form, or regard whatsoever. Um, I wasn't raised by black parents. Uh, my father is black and my mom is white, um, but I grew up in the same household with them and they're, they're still married to this day. Um, my parents raised me in a Christian home and with the strong viewpoint that um, they, to not see color. Someone's having a bunch of music playing somewhere in the background, and that's not me this time. That's not my, my nighttime mode turning on on my phone. That, that was me, and I thought I was... Can y'all hear me. that? Oh, okay. Um, I don't... Where, where was I? Christian was that, was that Michael Christian Jackson? household, yes. Christian Thank you. Michael You've now ruined the whole section. This is the guy, the the one that's always talking about the flow. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My bad. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Um, I may cut this part, even though I rarely cut anything out. Um, Hillary, what was I saying? Uh, We're filming a lot later than normal. You, you. Basically, my parents, my parents raised me with the with the good intention of trying to make us all colorblind, right? And as an interracial person growing up, I think a lot of us dealt with the who am I anyways? I've talked about this many times in the past. Am I black? Am I white? Am I sometimes you know too white for the black people, too black for the white people? I think I've done it. I can't think of specific examples. I raised my eye when I first saw that you had written that, but you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm, I'm, I feel like I've conformed. I grew up in a really multicultural part of Toronto, um, but I'm sure I've made some jokes about myself in my life. I, I can't think that I haven't. And it's, you know, I haven't read your blog yet, and I'll probably read it after this, but it's, it's awesome the way you can be so honest about things and really not be afraid afraid to um, show your vulnerabilities in your, in your work. So really Thank cool. you. I th- I think there's something to be said about the fact that like I also grew up in this generation where like unfortunately I basically use Facebook as a diary. So every uncomfortability I had with my existence as a black person, a woman, a queer is like very well documented, which like 
lends well to writing the blog, but it's also really weird to look back doing a podcast with a bunch of black people where I can see evidence that I did not like the fact that I was black. Uh, Alon, what do you think? Oh, oh, Clayton, were you done? Were you going to? No, yeah, I'm done. Okay. Um, I can, I can resonate with what you're saying. And it's interesting because I was raised by, by, you know, two black parents. Um, my dad, is uh was scottish and my mom was irish puerto rican and and a bit of native thrown in there so um and you know it's my grandmother's puerto rican and but they were visibly black people right um but i grew up uh not being proud to be black and it wasn't because my parents weren't um i just like my parents i guess were raised me to be like okay well everything is everything you know yes there's racism you know, be aware of it. Uh, like my mom always wanted me to make sure that uh, my, cause I, I had a thing for, uh, for Wonder Woman when I was a kid, I still do as an adult. Um, but uh, I had a big thing for Wonder Woman. I guess the story goes, I used to like run to the TV when I was like five years old and, and stand there and like, just like gawk at Linda Carter and like, you know, knee high boots and the, and, uh, and, and so I've had a thing for brunettes since day one. Right. So my mom was like, "Well, make sure that you." I swear, marry. I swear you're blushing right now, dude. I, it, listen, it was it's it the it, it, list the thirst is real. So anyway, <laughs> um, fast forward. So my mom was was always like, you know, make sure whoever you end up with. We had this conversation. My mom was like, "I know you like white girls. I, I, I I've I've accepted that." She's like, "We just make sure she can tan." And I ended up with like every white girl who doesn't tan. Like I have a thing for redheads. It's a bad thing. It's a whole thing. Um, so, but my, that was my the conversation I had with my mother, like my teen years. Like make sure she can tan, right? Because she's like, you know, black men, you know, they, they, you know, they they have it hard. And you know, as you climb the corporate ladder and you you know you go into business, you know, it's going to be harder if you have a white wife and you have to kind of play the game. And so my parents were conscious of it, but I was not comfortable in my own skin um, for a very long time. Um, I don't think I got comfortable being a black man until I was in, oh man, my mid thirties, which is really fucked up to say, um, you know, and even to the point of, you know, choosing in, in subconsciously a mother for my son. Like I didn't want my son to be as dark as I was, as I am. Right. So I thought if my kid was lighter, it would be easier for him. <laughs> Jokes on me. It's not, um, <laughs> team light skin gets no breaks and gets no love. Um, so, you know, it's, it's so, but, but I, but, but to think about that though, and, and I've had this conversation with my wife to think about that, you know, to hate yourself that much because of what you, what you see or don't see on TV for what you are taught and not, or not taught in school and to hate yourself that much that you literally don't want your offspring to be the same shade as you because you feel they're white passing that it's going to be easier for them than it is for you is really fucked up. And I didn't realize that until I got older and started going to therapy and, and breaking this shit down. Um, have I ever made fun of myself for being black? No. Have I, um, definitely felt the awkwardness of being the only black person yes because i was always too white for black people and damn sure too black for white people um throughout my entire school years like my parents always moved to the whitest fucking neighborhoods they could find and just has always happened this way and so therefore i was always the well the second black kid my sister was the other one so we were the two black kids in school always um and you know until i moved to the bronx and then that was different but you know it's uh I've never hated myself to the point where I would make fun of myself. Um, but I definitely was not a proud black child um, because everything that I saw on TV and everything that I aspired and liked 
didn't fall into that typically black box, right? So I didn't learn to appreciate hip hop until I was in my 20s. I was a rock kid. I still am a rock kid. Like I was a grunge kid, man, please. I was emo before emo was emo, right? Um, so like, you know, I, and, and, but to be a black grunge kid in the 90s was really out of place and just not even like talked about or even, you know, portrayed ever <laughs> on MTV mm-hmm. anywhere, right? There were no black rock grunge kids. And here I was here, my sister and I were, my sister was into Tool and Pearl Jam. And here I am, you know, and Bush and Nirvana, Stone Temple Pilots, and I'm a drummer and, you know, and that's what I do. And this is the music I'm gravitating. Even my parents were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like they were, you know, they were like, you know, 60s and 70s R&B people. And they're like, what's wrong with my, our children? Um, so like nothing I like. So I like, you know, like I like sci-fi and I, I loved anime and I, you know, and I loved rock music. And I, you know, so I loved all these, these things that checked off in the white category. But I was physically too black to be so you know to, to fit in with the white kids and having all these white interests quote unquote i couldn't fit in with the black kids so so yeah i i feel you in in the respect of just you know not appreciating one's race and you know and 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 hue on the color wheel um on a different type of scale so i guess you know even though i didn't verbally say anything I think that my the moves that i made and 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 or didn't make in my life um, I think I probably was doing the same thing. I just didn't verbalize it on a social media uh, platform. But, you know, I, I definitely was not walking around as a proud black male, um, you know, happy to be black. I, I didn't because the world around me was, is it, it, it was and still is very much catered to the white male demographic, right? All the heroes are white males. All of your, you know, your spies and your, all, the, all the people that I wanted to be like were all white. Right. So, I mean, like when you grow up wanting, you liking even Batman, I love, listen, I am Batman, right. Tattoo and all, right. I am Batman, but there, I remember, and this is a quick story. I went to, uh, they used to do this, this Comic-Con thing here in Moncton, um, at Comic Hunter. And, um, there were a couple artists there. And, uh, so anyway, they were doing caricatures. So Zach got Captain America. That's fine. So the artist, um, Danica was like, well, what do you, what do you want? And I'm like, can I get Batman? But I'm like, can you do me one favor? I'm like, can you make Batman look like me? Because this will be the only time I will ever see Batman be black. And she was like, yeah, got it. It's hanging up on my wall. So I finally got to be Batman in, in, in a character. And as silly and as stupid as trivial as that may sound, and the story probably will not resonate with anybody, but the point is, that was the one time in my life that I actually could resonate with that. But just to, uh, just to say that, you know, I always liked superheroes and spies and espionage, all this shit and everything that I saw was all white dude. So, you know, when you're going around and you're like, and you like certain things, you aspire to be, you know, certain ways or have certain characteristics, but you don't see yourself in that. It's, it's a very weird mix. So yes, long story short, I, I, I resonate with what you're saying, Hillary. I get it. Um, it's just a generational thing where you, showed it on a social platform and I kind of kept an internal and, and, and did it that way. Right. So 
but I get it. I totally get it. I will say that I felt the same way in terms of like representation in, in girls stuff on TV show as well. Like the show totally spies is three white girls with different colored hair. The Powerpuff girls are three white girls with different colored hair. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then I always, I always wanted the white Barbie dolls and the white Polly pockets. And I didn't want to mess with the black ones because I just wanted what every other kid have. And I didn't care about representation at the time without thinking about how that would like mold my mind or change my language and rhetoric towards myself. Um, Fidel, you're also a dad. So in terms of what like Alon's talked about, did you feel that way at all in terms of thinking about your kids and colorism and your experiences and how that would translate through your, your parenting or your hopes for your kids? Well, for me, it's a bit different because I grew up in, in the Caribbean, in the Spanish Caribbean, which is Latin American side and Latin America and the Caribbean have a, a little bit of a weird thing with colonization. Mm-hmm. So if you ever go to any part of the Caribbean where the, the popularity is mainly black, uh, you will see that there is a hidden racism. But that just doesn't happen to you. That happens to everybody, right? So in Dominican Republic specifically, uh, there's something like if you have, if you marry a white woman, and you have a kid, they say you are bettering the race. That's a thing. Like you're, they're saying, oh, you're bettering the race because you're a black guy that married a white woman. Uh, there's also women that they don't, now it's changing, but when I grew up there, women weren't allowed to have their afro that looked bad. That was not, that was frowned upon. Women needed to have their hair straightened. That's talking that 90% of women in that country don't have straight hair. So that that is crazy that everybody has to have their hair straight and everybody there has to, they all want to look whiter because the whiter you are, the better you get treated. And, and, but again, that's a country thing, right? Right. And, and it's not just us. If you go to Colombia, if you go to Cuba, if you go to Jamaica, if you go to different places like that, that is the idea. Like the white people get a better than the black. And again, this is for countries that 90% of the people are black. So it's, it's a, again, I only noticed it when I was growing up that I kind of realized that it was like, oh, but there again, there's when the education, like I had, I'm very lucky to get educated in, in the best school, best universe. And that's how I was able to realize what, what it, and it's because of history. So having that said, you know, when a whole country's going through it, it, it feels different. It's the nor it, it becomes normal, right? And and I think that's one of the things that happened to a lot of people here, uh, that it just becomes normal until they figure it out. Or somebody points it to because here, because the majority of people are white uh, and you're black, somebody's gonna point. To, and that's the thing with my kids. My kids don't realize it. They don't really care. They they say, like, oh, you're brown, oh daddy, you're brown like me. Their cousins are white, but they don't really see it. They're, that's not really something that they 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 favor. But there's gonna come a moment that somebody's gonna tell them. Somebody's gonna point it. Somebody's gonna say like, "Oh, no, you're different," and and that's the that's the different thing. And regarding my kids and and things again, I again I'm lucky that I've been educated well enough that I have to have that talk with my kids. Like when they're like, I'm going to have to talk to them and say, hey, look, this is how it goes. This is how the world works. And this is what you looked into. Uh, so definitely that, that is something that I I'm prepared to do. But the other thing is, is like I also want to show them what a lot of 
a lot of guys, and maybe you and Clinton can relate more because you're mixed, right? Like you have a white parent and a black parent. Uh, that's what my kids are. And I, but I have to explain them that. I guess a lot of people don't explain that. So I have to explain them the whole history of things and also that they need to cherish just both things at the same time. But they also need to be aware what they're going to get cataloged in. Because again, I don't, if there was a choice to you, in your time, if they would have told you, what do you want to be, black or white? You probably would have said white, right? Because your mom was white, you were raised by your mom. That was the character. But that you didn't pick that. Nobody picked that. They they picked it on you. They said, like, oh, no, no, no. You're this, right? And you're like, oh, I got, and then you're like, oh, okay, uh, what I got to do? So to the sense that I, I personally, myself, again, because I grew up in a world that everybody is, we, we, that's normal. For us, it was normal. It's only when you get out that you figure out like, oh, you're, that's not normal that everybody wants to be whitewashed and, and people making fun. And even when you're dark skin, like in Dominican, the darker you are, people discriminated you because you're darker than the other dark person, which is insane. Like you're, you're, you're being racist, two black people being racist amongst each other. Uh, but it, it is something that, again, you we everything that happened it, it happened to me but for us it was like it happened to everybody else that i was with right mm -hmm. so it wasn't like weird it was like oh okay we all do the same thing so so i guess that's how i can put it well i mean colorism is super super real and also in terms of like if we could have been like prescribed i guess our own identities i've i've forget if I've talked about this on here before, but in terms of like fat phobia, Lizzo on went on TikTok and was saying like, if everyone could choose, there's such inherent fat phobia, no one would actively say that they want to be plus size in the same way that just because of how aggressive the discrimination is against black people, no one at this point would choose to be black because it's basically taking your life into your own hands. People, like cops are actively killing black people in the States. Why would you choose to live a life that is actively more difficult? And, and while I was very proud of like my, my color and I loved being able to talk about my father's heritage, I also was raised to have this very big pride about being Acadian, despite the fact that my mom hated speaking French and found it more difficult. I was raised to be so very proudly Acadian that I felt like I had to defend that while also trying to defend my black. Clinton, you had your hand up? Um, just to respond to what Fidel said, and I, I, you guys all shared some really amazing stuff, and I know my answer was short. But um, no, like if given the option, I, I can actually say that, no, I definitely wouldn't choose to be white. However, I don't know that I would choose to be black. Um, again, I, I need to stress that a lot of people grew up around maybe either white people or black people, but I had the benefit of growing up around a really multicultural environment. And at the end of the day, and even though I may have been a bit ashamed of this over the past year, I think I'm back to being able to say that, you know, I really just want to be Canadian. And I, I think... Canadians should strive towards a future where we can really just a faraway future, probably where we can really just identify as being Canadian and not have, and that's kind of the beauty of Canada where you can, you can be who and what you want to be. And you shouldn't be limited by the, the pigment of your skin or the expectations. I mean, like Alan, even the idea that it, I could be wrong. It almost felt like you feel that you should feel guilty for liking the things you liked growing up. But I mean, 
without the internet, there was no way for you to know how many other black kids out there really liked that stuff, other than maybe the people in your neighborhoods. I grew up you know, as a huge sci-fi junkie, um, Star Star Wars, uh, Star Trek all the time, and so did my Jamaican dad. So that's that's not uncommon at all. Um, yeah, I, I I had the benefit of unpopular opinion, but like you know, I, I I've seen the pros and cons of both white culture and black culture. And I've been right in the mix through all of it. Um, I, I'd rather just be me and I'd rather just, if anything, be Canadian. Because in, in America, like they make you pick. Uh, what are you, white or black? Here, I don't think you have to. Um, I know Canada is going through a lot of reconciliation and, and learning and growing and truth seeking. But I, if I had to choose, I, I would pick that third option and, and be a Canadian. And that's what I w I'd want my kids to be too. If we could get to a point where Canadian was synonymous with a multiculturalism, I would say yes, that I agree with that. Right. I still feel but that like Canadian is sort of still very much perceived it like we're still a white privileged country ruled under a monarchy that I don't think does enough for its minorities to be something like I 100% I identify as can like if someone asks me what I am, I've almost always said Canadian and then Acadian. Now I say Senegalese Acadian because I'm giving props to my father down the hall because he's earned them. And I do feel proud about that aspect of my life now. But I do find that if we were to just, you know, I don't I don't know that you're necessarily saying throw out all. Of, I know you're not saying throw out all the other cultures, but like I think that I want everyone to be proud to be Canadian. I agree that a lot of truth and reconciliation needs to be made, but I think that, that then Canada needs to be recognized more as like not that melting pot that sort of blankets all of them, but that mosaic where everyone is so welcome that you can say Canadian and it doesn't have to mean to you know, and poutine. You know what? You're right. Because, you know, to me, until I moved to New Brunswick 11 years ago, to me, being Canadian was synonymous with being Torontonian and from Toronto. And to me, Canada was the people I saw in Toronto. It was, it was all the different cultures. So that's a good point. Canada's diverse. I mean, over in Alberta, they didn't even have black people. Like for like, the black people started off in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. I mean, Alberta, like yeah. the, Canada is big and huge and diverse. And to me, when I'm speaking, I guess I'm still thinking of this as my life growing up and being from Toronto as opposed to being from quote unquote Canada, which yeah. is for the most part really rural with not a lot of multiculturalism. So, I mean, yeah. When I studied like yeah, Cana Canadian literature, it was uh, one of my first introductions into the idea of like Asian people post like some of the like, w w like racism of the war and the idea of like refugees being put in these like poor um, situations and the story of Louis Riel and all of these things that I didn't even know about Canada because of our education system. So for me, the idea of Canada was always very white and roots and tragically hip, as Alon once said. And that to me was Canada. And I'm, I'm learning that it's this big mosaic, especially now that I've lived in Ontario and I see. But if I was still the like, girl from Moncton who thought that Rouge was the be all and end all of the weekend, Canada did not have that much color or diversity or interesting elements. And I think that if Canada could change that viewpoint for a lot of the people who do live in these like rural corners, then we could be getting somewhere, I think, as a, as a country. I haven't heard that term, the different, the differentiating between mosaic and melting pot in quite some time. I remember, uh, I think it was the early two thousands when people were like, no, like the melting pot of the, of the United States was the wrong, uh, 
ideal, right? Because a melting pot means that you lose all of your uniqueness and you become one robot army. Um, And that's basically what America wanted. That's the, so melting pot for America was actually exactly what it was, but you know, America spent a lot of time and a lot of propaganda dollars making everyone think that that was a positive thing when it wasn't. So when you came to America, yeah, you had to change your last name or change your name in general, you know, look the part, dress the part, work the job, pay the taxes, speak the language. And that was it. Um, you know, so, so yeah, the mosaic is, 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 I haven't heard those two terms in quite some time, but yeah, I, I agree. The face of Canada for me as an American was always a white dude on a moose in a, in in a, in a fucking mountain uniform. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's always what I've known. Like as an American, that's always the image of Canada. It isn't the multicultural um, aspect of Canada that that's put out, but you know, I blame the Canadian government for that. Again, it's that it's that you know worldwide propaganda message that Canada sends out, um, whether it be through movies or through you know uh, through the music. Um, it's oh, it, it does not is not representative of what the country is, and I think you know Canada has a very rare and unique opportunity right now to change that mm-hmm. in a very drastic way and do a one eighty. Um, and to begin including everyone, um, you know, in, in their mission statement and in their imagery. And yeah, uh, I, I know. never even understood all those jokes about Canadians growing up, right. About the accents, a boot and the way they pronounce yeah. things. I, I, that I didn't get it. Cause I, no one I knew the white people I knew in Toronto, they didn't talk like that. So I just, I thought it, I, it was all confusing to me. Mounties and RCMP yeah. and the guys in the hats and the red out, you know, we had a, we had a stupid show called, uh, we had a stupid show on CBS called Due South, and it was about this uh, Canadian Mountie who was like in the States and like he had like a U.S. female yeah. love interest and they had these stupid comedic adventures. And, you know, that was basically, you know, the Canadian, yeah. you know, <laughs> the, 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 the imagery of Canada for us. We had we had that here, too. Yeah, they're, yeah, so, they're yeah. releasing a Canadian Pixar animated movie they just announced. So it, yeah. it'll be interesting cool. to see how that mm. looks. Going, going right now. But I was going to tell, like, I think that's one of the reasons for people need to travel, because I mean, I, I never and I think that's what what I, a lot of people don't when you're in, when you're in a certain spot. If you go to places uh, that everybody's black, nobody looks of themselves as black. <laughs> like mm-hmm. nobody sees themselves like they don't. They are Nigerian. They are uh, Ghanese. They're Puerto Rican. They're Cuban. They're whatever. They don't see themselves as a race. Uh, it is only when you come to the United States specifically that that, that's, that, you, that everybody looks at you as African American. Which if the African-American term is completely wrong because Egyptians are African. Uh, Tunisians are Africans. Algerians are Africans because they're all in Africa, right? So if, if I got Algerian parents and I'm born in the States, I'm officially an African-American, but I'm not black. I'm Middle Eastern. So I think that's, that's one of the things that, that I would say that I wouldn't say like it's a propaganda machine regarding to Canada because I, I feel like the way Canada is portrayed is not even even by Canadians because if you look at Africa it, in the United States how they portray Africa or they portray Latinos or they portray Asians especially Asians like every time we looked at China we always saw like a kung fu uh, martial arts type of people and if you go to China that's not or Japan that's not really what is happening there or like I think it, a lot of the the misperception. 
uh, are not made by Canada or perceptions of races are not even made by country. I think a lot of, a lot of it, and I can definitely say this, a lot of it is done in the United States. A lot of mm -hmm. per perception, because it's only when you get there, and, and I can tell you that because when you get there, they tell you, what are you or where are you from? And then if you say to them, I am American, they're like, okay, but are you, he's black. Or in, if you're Dominican, which is the funny thing, if you're Dominican in the States uh, and you don't have an accent and you speak like me, they think you're African-American. And I'm like, no, I'm Latino. Oh, really? What, you're Dominican? It's like, oh, really? Like, there's a stereotype here. There's, a, there's always a stereotype. So mm -hmm. I think one of the things that we have to do as a society, and I think some places like Toronto do it really well. In Toronto, I think they do it pretty well. They don't stereotype people as much like uh, there's a lot of a there's a big asian community that they're canadians that they're like fifth generation canadians that they they have maybe ties to asia or taiwan or india or someplace like that their parents came in the 30s or in the 20s so but i think as a society we need to kind of in canada specifically not not talking to anywhere else in the world because everything's different in canada i think as a society we need to understand that people are not being treated equally because of certain aspects of their race or, or or tribes or whatever. And also we need to understand that the system wasn't made equally and therefore it needs to be updated constantly for it to be changed and for it to, to, to take out all these stereotypes. Uh, definitely in Canada. In the United States, it's a whole different ballgame. I, I don't even know how the hell that they're going to fix that. But definitely that is that is what, what where I stand yeah. up. Okay, so we gave people a good hour. I think we gave we gave people a good a, a good hour. So uh, we're gonna change this thing a little bit. So do you guys have anything else to say? Wagwan, do you want to go first? <laughs> oh no, I, I oh Clint, yeah, sorry, no. it's been a long. It's like, <laughs> it's like uh, uh. I mean, either of you can go first, but I thought I would just you know bring bring it full circle. You're still muted, Wagwan. Oh, have I been muted this whole time? Okay. Um, no, I'm straight. I'm good. Okay. Uh, Cropberry on social media, secondglances.ca, the blog on Black in the Maritimes. The TikTok is doing very well. We've hit 1,100 followers. One of our videos has 20,000 views, which is bananas, and I am very unsure why, but there will be more content coming out on there, so keep yourselves posted on that and then also instagram reels come out at the moment on mondays um right now they're beauty related but expect more content from these three fine gentlemen as well on that platform alon uh echo seven on all socials i am the trees out now uh i believe we're probably set to release another single in probably another month month and a half uh but we have video out on youtube um buy the song on Bandcamp or Apple Music uh, or stream it on Spotify. I still can't stand Spotify. Fuck Spotify. But um, Echo 7 on all platforms. Appreciate it. Okay. Uh, but we do love Spotify in this podcast. Not for bands, but for podcasts. So please leave a review. Leave a message. Uh, we do appreciate that. Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast. Please leave a review if you can. That really means a lot to us because it, it puts us in a different place and it changes the algorithm. So it, we would love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, give us five stars. We definitely appreciate that. And again, follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, of course, uh, Instagram at Black in the Maritime. So guys, peace out. Peace.
Bye.